values. Your core values really define the, the work that you do from that point on. It guides your actions. Um, those core values uh, provided the framework by which we went through our decision-making. They, they provided the framework by which we made um, format choices for our program, how we structured our rules, how we structured our rosters, how we engaged in coach training, how we engaged in staff training. All of those things were guided by our commitment to those core values. And all of that connected in a way where we could then deliver an experience on the field, on the court, uh, in the wild, I guess you'd say, that matched the core values and the vision that we had promoted on paper or electronically to our families. And that's where the magic happened, when the experience matched the vision, matched the message. Welcome to the Coaches Club Podcast, powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training. I'm your host, Luke Gromer, and every week we're bringing you conversations with coaches and leaders in sport that will help you grow as an effective teacher and transformational leader so that you and your team can reach your potential. Coaches, I'm excited to welcome Nate Baldwin to the podcast. Nate has nearly 20 years of recreational sports industry experience as an entrepreneur, program administrator, and advocate for inclusive, high-quality sport experiences. Nate's diverse career has spanned from the creation and management of his successful adult recreational organization in Denver, Colorado, to the revitalization of the Appleton, Wisconsin Parks and Recreation Youth Sports Program, which was recognized by the Aspen Institute as the inaugural Project Play Champion in 2018. In our conversation, we talk about his experience turning around the youth sports program in Appleton and all that went into it, including how they turned a 20% decrease in participation to an 80% increase and took their retention rate for coaches from 55 to 60% year over year to 83%. And even though this episode focuses a little more on the youth sports space, there's a ton of takeaways and applications for coaches at any level that want to turn their team or program around. If you enjoyed the episode and want a copy of the podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com or click the link in the show details. Also, I want to give you an exciting update about the podcast. On January 1st, the Coaches Club podcast is becoming the Cutting Edge Coaching Podcast. I'm changing the name of my business to be more aligned with what I'm trying to do, and I think the name better aligns with that. I want to help you guys stay on the cutting edge in your coaching by talking about the topics beyond the X's and O's that are so crucial to our success as coaches. You don't need to do anything different for the update. If you're currently subscribed to the podcast on January 1st, you'll see our updated name and cover art wherever you listen, and you'll still be able to listen to previous episodes. And finally, if you're interested in learning more about what we offer coaches, the book clubs, cohorts, trainings, or the community, just check out the show details for links to learn more about all those. Now to part one of my conversation with Nate Baldwin. Enjoy the episode. Nate would love if you just started off and just told the listeners um, the story of the transformation that you led at the um, Appleton Parks and Rec Department um, with their um, youth sports there and, and kind of what the situation was when you came in and um, what, what you did to change it. 
Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. First of all, Luke, I appreciate the chance to kind of share some some of my story and share some insights um, with your listeners. So thanks for that opportunity. Um, I guess to get into the work that I did in Appleton, I need to take one slight step back and kind of explain how I got there in the first place, which is kind of an interesting story. But um, I was in the telecommunications industry in early 2000s and uh, was kind of leading an unfulfilled life at the time. And just I'd always had a passion for sports and um, especially participating in sports. And so had this idea to start an adult uh, sports organization and, and the city I ended up uh, taking that idea to is Denver, Colorado. And so um, launched this uh this little side project uh, to get an adult sports organization uh, going, adult sports program off the ground in Denver. We started with about 50 participants. Over the course of the next six, seven years, though, it grew um, into a 5,000 participant annual organization. Um, but the reason I think that's important is because I think that was my first experience with really trying to build a program culture. Um, trying to rally people around a concept or an idea or a vision, and then actually like kind of cutting my chops on delivering an experience that matched that vision. And that was a, that was a skill I had to develop that would serve me really well down the road. Um, which is the reason I think that background's important. So I, I ran that organization for about 10 years, uh, really enjoyed it. I think when I look back at it, it gave people uh, a real sense of belonging. It was a, it was a recreational organization. We used uh, like playground type games as our, as our hook to get people involved and engaged. These were people that uh, ranged from athletes who had never stopped participating at a high level to um, people who hadn't participated in any sort of organized sport for decades. And so it, we ran the whole spectrum and it was just looking back, it was just really a, a, a fascinating concept to get people of different backgrounds, um, experiences, uh, strengths all together in the same venue, uh, to enjoy something in common together. And I think as we look at our fractured society today, um, you know, it, it really served a, both a social and a physical purpose that maybe I didn't realize at the time, but uh, I, I uh, reflect uh, positively on now. So uh, 2012, I ended up selling that business um, and I had kids of my own by that time. And that kind of was my introduction into the quagmire of youth sports. Um, and But I, I recognized that youth sports had a lot of the same issues. You know, they were struggling Youth sports as, a, as an industry was struggling with this idea of belonging and inclusion and um, struggling with things like, you know, developmentally appropriate experiences and things of that nature. And so with, with, the, uh, with the acumen I had developed over those years and running the adult uh, organization, I tried to find ways to apply those skills to the youth sports setting. I thought I had the ability and the interest to be able to apply those uh, skills strategically to the youth sports uh, industry. By that time, we had uh, relocated back to our home state of Wisconsin. We were living just outside of Madison, Wisconsin at the time. Uh, we had a local, we were living in a relatively small community with a local community sports program that wasn't very good. Um, quality was low. Um, our, what we saw in our own kids, they kind of regressed in their skill. It was kind of one of those classic roll the ball out and let the kids run around for a bit. And so it was just, it was extremely, from an organizer's point of view, extremely frustrating. 
um, to watch uh, um, a program that really wasn't focused on the experience, wasn't focused on development, um, wasn't focused on enjoyment, and uh, was more doing so, it seemed, out of obligation, you know, running a program more out of obligation. So I started an organization at that time focused on youth sports to provide a better experience for kids that were in that four to nine, um, uh, four to nine age group and uh, picked up uh, pretty quickly. There was obviously a need that was being un unmet uh, in the community, and uh, we quickly uh, assembled a, a, a significant following there. Shortly, that, that ran for about a year, so 2013 to 2014. Shortly after that time, I got approached by Appleton Parks and Recreation, who had just lost uh, their uh, youth sports coordinator, and were looking to fill that role. And so uh, my wife at the time had an opportunity to take on a position there. Um, pieces were all falling into place. I, I accepted the role at Appleton, and then that's when I headed into um, into that role. That's the one for which I, I've received the most recognition over the last five six years, and so that's where I'll uh, I'll kind of focus my my energy here next in the conversation. But you had asked originally that background's important because you had asked originally, um, you know what what was the transformation that occurred in Appleton, and just to give you some perspective on that. The, um, the program I took over in Appleton, I always call it like the classic recreational program. Um, it had been struggling through many of the same participation declines as most recreational programs had seen during the mid uh, 2010s. Uh, their program had, had uh, experienced about 20% participation decline uh, from uh, 2011 through 2015. So over that five year span, um, there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm. There wasn't a lot of momentum. And so this was the program I was handed. And it was almost kind of like a, what, what can you do with it kind of thing? So in, in a lot of ways, I, I, uh, I thrived off that, you know, it was almost like being given a blank canvas and saying, what can you create with this blank canvas and some, some basic art tools? I kind of looked at this program in the same way. And so over the course of the next six months to a year, it was really a, a, a way for me to examine the program I had acquired, try to understand what we were doing well, what we were not doing well, and then really start the process of renovation. So about 2015 is when we really began that process of renovation. The first order of business was uh, to define what our core values were. So I've done a lot of writing, a lot of speaking about that process because I think that was the moment, that was the critical piece that kind of led to everything else was that, that, um, that process of sitting down, understanding and, and talking about what our strengths as a program were, understanding what our weaknesses as a program were, but taking those strengths um, and, and trying to craft a vision around it, which included core values. Uh, so what did we want our program to be about? What did, who did we want to serve? What did we want the experience to be like? So we targeted things like we want, we always want our program to be about inclusion. We always want our program to be about, um, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, progressive skill development. 
we always wanted our program to be about family balance, meaning we didn't want to ask for an, an overabundance of your time or your finances. And la the last core value we identified was um, wanting sports to be a source of lifelong enjoyment for our kids and for our families. So those were the four things we really latched onto and promoted out to our participating families. This is what we said our program was going to be about. And we structured our whole program vision around those things. That was a critical moment for us. And I think that's a critical moment for anyone that's running an organization because your core values really define that the work that you do from that point on, it guides your actions. Um, those core values uh, provided the framework by which we went through our decision-making. They, they provided the framework by which we made um, format choices for our program, how we structured our rules, how we structured our rosters, how we engaged in coach training, how we engaged in staff training. All of those things were guided by our commitment to those core values. And all of that connected in a way where we could then deliver an experience on the field, on the court, uh, in the wild, I guess you'd say, that matched the core values and the vision that we had promoted on paper or electronically to our families. And that's where the magic happened. When the experience matched the vision, matched the message, um, that's what created that positive experience for our kids, for our families. That's what created loyalty uh, from our families and from our staff and from our coaches. And that created a program momentum that lasted until the day I left. So over the course of those next six years, we, we were able to reverse a 20% participation decline and turn that into an 80% participation increase. So that's not coincidental. Um, that's not cyclical. That was intentional. And that was, that was something that resulted from that difficult work of um, crafting a vision, identifying your values, and strategic renovation of the program so that your delivery matched the message. And so um, even though I've been going on for a few minutes here, uh, that still doesn't quite do justice to all the work that was involved in doing so. Uh, but that's kind of a, a, a good summary of uh, my own professional path, but also the, the, the work that we were able to accomplish uh, for Appleton Parks and Rec. And the numbers don't lie. Like you said, I mean, I mean, those are really impressive numbers that are the result of what you just talked about, right? That alignment of the values, the messaging, and then the experience, like the experience actually was what you said that you wanted it to be. That's why people were drawn to it, why they stayed with it, why it grew. Um, I'd love to talk now about that kind of coach education component of what you did. Cause I know that was just an essential piece um, of that transformation that you led there. So um, would you tell us two things? One, what was the situation like when you came in as far as um, coaches that you had or recruiting coaches, um, the experience that those coaches were providing? And then um, what did you do and where, where was it when you left as far as uh, the situation with your coaches in that program? Yeah, good questions. Um, and I'll, I'll try to go through those. So if I get off track, feel free to bring me back on track. But um, I think the, the coaching situation, obviously, as the program grows, um, that puts a real strain on your resources and, and co volunteer coaches and staff 
are one of those critical resources that every program needs to be successful. I mean, I'm one person, you know, I can, I can guide a program of a hundred teams and a thousand kids, but I can't be on the field with them. You know, the, the coaches are those critical conduits to the families that you're serving. And so I understood from the very beginning how critical it would be to have them on board as stakeholders. But I would say that was the biggest challenge coming in was that families and coaches were consumers of the program. They were not stakeholders in the program. They didn't understand the vision. They didn't understand the values. They were comparing this program against every other option that they had in our community um, and making a consumer selection based on that. So one of the biggest reasons why that vision mission values piece was so important, not just for our participants, but also for our coaches is because this is how you begin the process of developing advocates, people that will buy into, believe in, and advocate for your program philosophy. And so, yes, we took that approach with our participating families because we believed, or or I believe that this is what would create program loyalty but understanding that our coaches were the key delivery piece on the ground with their teams and with the families, they were our key messengers. I knew that we needed their buy-in as well. So one of the things I needed to wrap my mind around was how do we, how do we make every coach an advocate of the program? And for me, the key to all of that was coach training. Um, I know there are a lot of arguments out there about how, oh, you can't burden coaches, especially volunteer coaches. You can't burden them with more. You know, they're not going to carve out the time to participate in training. You need to ask less of them, not more of them. You know, there, there's this stuff that's out there. I flatly reject all of that. I think if you are, I've been a volunteer coach myself for just about every sport, just about every age group. So I know what the mindset of a volunteer coach is. If I'm going to put myself out there, if I'm going to give my time, if I'm going to commit to this, I don't want to do so and be, um, I don't want to do so and be fairly certain I'm going to fail. I want to do so knowing that I'm going to be put in a position where I can succeed. And so that was the, that was the calculated risk I took as a administrator was that if we invest the time, if we invest our energy, if we help build these coaches up, if we help empower their success, um, they will find the experience more rewarding. They will find that uh, their teams are more successful. I'm going to put that in quotes because I think that all depends on how we define success. Um, And they will find the experience one that they want to come back and uh, perform again. So we're creating that loyalty. So for me, the key to all of that was getting them in a room together and getting them bought in on what this program philosophy was all about. So I go back to those core values. We were talking about the benefits of inclusion, the, the physical, social, and emotional benefits of inclusion. We were talking about the need for progressive skill development. We were talking about how our program was going to be balanced in time and in finances. And we were talking about how our overall goal as a group was to get these kids excited about sports and have it be a source of joy throughout their life. And so all, most of the training that I did with these coaches was in regards to the philosophical elements of this. It was not necessarily on strategies and tactics that would come later. It was about getting them in the room and helping them understand the data, 
uh, and the evidence that showed that a program delivered with these concepts in mind um, helped create uh, young people who stayed engaged in the sport longer and achieved higher, more sustained levels of success uh, as they grew. It was getting them uh, aligned around this idea that everything you think you know about how sports is supposed to be delivered, it's probably not accurate. And we're gonna do things very differently. And here's the evidence and here's the data. So it was, a lot of our coach training was based around that concept that it was to show them, here is what we're doing as a program. Here's why we're doing it. Here's the evidence that validates why we're doing it. And I need you to be my mouthpiece out there because uh, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be doubt there's going to be uh, questioning that comes from the very families we are trying to serve. And I need you to be able to advocate and defend this approach with those families. So a, a lot of the effort and energy went into that. Now, along with that comes a need for um, tactics, strategy, lesson plans, et cetera. And recognizing that these were volunteers, uh, a big thing for me was making the role of, I, I wanted to try to make the uh, concept of being a coach as simple and easy as possible. I wanted to make it very easy to volunteer to be a coach, which for me as an administrator meant giving those coaches all the tools they'd need to be successful. So myself as a professional with a background in uh, human development and psychology, I was able to take my sports mindset and put together lesson plans for every sport that we offered, for every age group that we offered, and put those in the hands of our coaches so that we could minimize that random effect of your experience, your experience as, a, as a participant matching the random coach you happen to receive. I wanted to put those tools into the hands of all of our coaches. Um, did we get 100% utilization out of that? Absolutely not but um, it greatly reduced uh, the random effect. So coming in as a, as a new coach, you were getting a full rundown of our program philosophy. You were un fully understanding what we did, why we did it, and what was expected of you. And then you were also given the tools that you'd need to be successful on the field with your kids. I mentioned redefining success. I would say that was kind of the final piece was helping reframe this idea of success from performance on the field, wins and losses, to progressive development over the course of the season. Judging the success of your team based on what they can accomplish now, what they can do now versus what they could do back at week one. And judging their development based on that, uh, that gap. Um, and with that defining success, I would say every single team we served was successful. They had the materials they needed. They had the motivation they needed. They had the vision they needed. And I would say just about every coach we had was able to look back on that season, on that experience with their teams, and help point out all the ways in which they had become um, stronger, um, more skilled, and uh, through the enjoyment that they had through that process. So um, I know that's a very long explanation, but that was the process that we took uh, with our coaches. Beginning to end, how did things change? When I came in, we were retaining about 55 to 60% of our coaches year over year. By the time I left, uh, we were retaining 83% of our coaches. 
So I think that's extremely strong. Well, I should say this, we were retaining 83% of our coaches, despite the fact that our participation had increased by 80%. So not only did we need more coaches, we needed to retain the ones we had also. So even despite the fact we needed more and more and more coaches, every season we offered, we were also able to increase our retention by over 20%, which was, I, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, and, and I think a key to all of this was that uh, they were they were provided with the foundation they needed to be successful, and they were provided with the tools they needed to be successful. And honestly, at the end of the season, um, it's hard to overstate the value of just a simple um, thank you and appreciation for the time and the energy they give. Because without them, an administrator can't really do anything. Um, you're, you're sitting in a chair in an office, and sports aren't played in an office they're played on the field and without your coaches um there's nothing you can accomplish from there so um that, that's kind of a run through of what we were able to do coaching wise uh, through that program i love that and you know as i'm listening to you talk about that i think that it's important to note too that the things that you shared in that um they're not just for an administrator. Um, there's so many nuggets in there that let's say like you're the head coach of a high school team or a college team, and you've got assistants under you, right. Or people that you're leading in a program or on a team, like those two things, giving them the foundation and the tools, like that's what, that's what every coach needs to be doing. Um, even within their, within their specific team. And then hopefully too, like you're talking about, um, at that, at that program level too, from administrators, um, really, aligning people around, Hey, here's, here's our vision. And here's how um, we bring it to life and in actions. Cause like you said, that was the magic is when everyone gets on that same page and the values are being brought to life, people are aligned around that vision and excited about it. Um, and I, yeah, again, like the, the numbers speak for themselves in that too. Um, that, I think it's a testament to the fact that you're not just trying to fill a role, you're trying to create a community and in doing yeah. those things, you're creating a community, but I'll also add, I think it, when, when you're providing the foundation and the tools, it also expands your audience where, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what the classic response was. If, if I had a, if I had a need for a volunteer coach of a team that didn't have a volunteer, um, I'd make a few phone calls, I'd send a few emails and you can probably guess what the classic response was from a mom. Oh, I'll, I'll ask, I'll ask their father when they get home, if, if they want to coach. Um, my next response would be, what about you? Um, you know, why, why are we always deferring to the dads who may or may not have played sports? What, why are we not asking the moms? Why are we not asking older siblings? Why are we not getting grandparents? Why are we not getting aunts and uncles that, um, you know, might just have a real passion and joy for working with young people. We took that concept from, Hey, you need to know something about the sport to be successful coaching it and flip that on its head. It's like, if, if you just have a genuine passion and interest in working with young people, you've already got what it takes. You've already got what it takes to be a great coach because you know what we're going to do. We're going to help clue you into what our philosophy is and why it is that way. And then we're going to give you all the tools that you need to be successful. If you can simply interpret those materials and demonstrate on the field and trust that anything you're going to be able to do is going to be relatively impressive to a five or six-year-old, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. And that encouraged this whole um, new segment of people to get involved in their kids' sports experience. 
Um, and it opened people's eyes to possibilities they had, may never have considered for themselves before. And so it expanded um, people's idea of what a volunteer coach or what a coach could be or what a coach, what a, what a classic coach is. Um, it gave people the confidence to get involved. And that was huge for us. Yeah, totally. That makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. Just it's empowering people. And like you said, that most essential piece was, do you have a passion to impact young people positively? And, and there's not a lot of people that are going to say no to that, right? You have people, you know, maybe they just don't enjoy spending time with young people, but there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'd love, like, I'd love to impact some, some young people in a positive way and to take that pressure off of them. It's like, it's okay. You don't actually have to know all the X's and O's, all the technical tactical, like we can teach you that stuff. Um, the, the primary thing here is, is your motivation and your passion to, to serve, to serve it, young people. It's the most critical element for what makes a successful coach, because you can't fake your way through that. Um, you, you can't, you can't get out there and say, yes, I, I do care about young people. I enjoy my time around young people. And then go through the motions because you know, who sees right through that kids see right through that. Um, so you, you have to be genuine. You have to, uh, you have to have a sense of humor about yourself and about the situation. Um, you have to know that if you're coaching six or seven year olds and a toad hops across the field, you, you got to know what's going to happen and you got to be okay with that. Everyone's going to go to the toad. I mean, that's, that's what being a youth coach is all about. And so that doesn't require a special skill set. that just requires, um, like, like you had said, that just requires a passion and interest for being engaged in the lives of young people. That's what makes a great coach. And honestly, that's what kids remember. That's what kids and families um, assess when they're thinking about whether or not they're going to come back in a future season. So we've talked a lot about growth, but the key to growth is retention. Once you've got them, do they stay and do they tell their friends and do they tell their other family members? Um, The, the way in which you're being coached, the way in which you're being guided is a critical factor in whether or not you've enjoyed your experience enough at the end of that season to come back for the next one. And so we were very conscious of that. And um, that uh, that thought and that idea guided a lot of what we did in that program. Coaches, thanks for listening to this episode, and thanks again to Nate for coming on to the podcast. If you want to learn more about Nate or check out the links he mentioned, just check out the show details. And as always, if you enjoyed the episode and want the podcast notes, go to coachesclubpod.com or click the link in the show details. I loved what Nate shared about aligning stakeholders around your vision and core values. Regardless of your role in sports, whether it's an administrator like Nate, a college or high school coach, a volunteer youth coach, or really any leader in any area, it's so critical to get this right. Those core values that we establish must become our guiding light. They're what shape our communication, behaviors, and ultimately our decision-making. So that's my challenge to you. Get clear on your vision and core values. Then once you've done that work, you'll be able to communicate those to all your stakeholders, players, parents, administrators, and begin to bring those core values to life. Like I mentioned in the intro, if you want to learn more about how we serve coaches, just check out the links in the show details. Thanks for listening to the Coaches Club podcast powered by Transform Sport, where we believe great coaches transform lives, athletes deserve great coaches, and coaches deserve great training.